Hey guys, it's Jordan with the Pop Dust Podcast. My guest today is Shamir. Since bursting on the scene with his debut album Ratchet and the viral hit On the Regular in 2015, the Las Vegas singer-songwriter has developed a more rock-heavy sound. His latest album Cataclysm is out now. First of all, I appreciate that your your hair is is like top-notch for quarantine. I mean, thank you. I mean, right now, you know, it's just in a this is just in a little messy bun, but um I've been doing my own press photos for the next record um, during quarantine. Shooting them by yourself, like self-portraits? Mm-hmm. And, and I also um, did a video, too. I've never done any visuals. It's just like running back and forth um, to the camera and then like trying to pose in front of it and yeah. like look like I didn't run two seconds before. Yeah. It's uh, thoughts have been doing it for years, so, you know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and, we, and you know, and they're the true heroes of everything. Okay, so let's talk about music. Um, so first of all, I really, I really like the new album. It's really heavy. Tell me about the recording of Cataclysm and and the style you wanted to bring to it. Cataclysm, first of all, was the longest ever worked on a record, and it wasn't supposed to be released at all, actually. You know, it was the first record that I had shot for a label ever, I think. And no one got it. Tell me about going from that pop sound to the more guitar-heavy sound. Was the guitar-heavy sound more what you wanted to make in the first place? Yeah, I mean, it's more of like what I wanted to make in the first place, but it's also what I was doing before I did electronic pop music or dance music. That was always kind of like an experimental thing for me. And I just, you know, I was 18, 19 and didn't really realize the importance of uh, of first appearances, I guess mm. is the best way to put it. So I was just like, yeah, like my first album can just like be an experimental album, you know, that has like no, even in the slightest bit, essence of like, how I even view myself as an artist and just like do this and then just like go off and do whatever I want afterwards. So yeah, I did the ra- I did the Ratchet record and, uh, you know, toured it, did the whole thing. And then after, even though during the whole time I was telling everyone that, you know, you're not getting another dance record, you're not getting another dance record, I guess no one took me seriously. And then I guess I wrote a few records a few songs that I felt was a happy medium between pop and, and the guitar-based stuff and um, and Excel, I guess they really like it, paired with they weren't having the best time with like my management. So then they end up dropping me. And then when they dropped me, that's when I was like, okay, yes, I have an out. I can do whatever I want now. I'm not trapped. So I don't have to compromise like I was trying to before which didn't work out and I just could go like full force guitar you know music and write it like how I imagine it how I you know am able to write it myself I'm able to record it myself I'm able to produce it myself and then just put it out there so that started with um with hope which um was a record that I manically made in a weekend and dropped on SoundCloud and they got like 70k streams like in one day and it was insane for the people who got it they loved it you know 
And I think polarizing things are really good because sometimes, not all the times, because I personally love pop music. I've always loved pop music. And my favorite thing about pop music and any art realistically, like I think great art, like great art is accessible and relatable and um, and have no boundaries. Like everyone can relate to it. But I think polarizing art is probably the most real stuff. Accessible art and music kind of sometimes compromises catharsis or maybe compromises um, individuality or even just, um, I guess, kind of just like raw, pure emotions and feelings just to stray away from it possibly been polarizing. So I guess that's what I learned from that release. And that was just enough, just the fact that there were uh, some people who did get it and fully get it, you know, and not be on the edge. And if you just didn't like it, you just didn't like it. But the fact that there were people that still fully got it, that was enough to keep me doing it. And honestly, realistically, I couldn't imagine myself. I just, for my own mental health, couldn't go back to singing pop music, like being on stage, bouncing around, not playing my guitar. I was so depressed most of that touring just because I wasn't playing guitar on stage. And that was just what I did before that and what I was used to. And I and I kind of used that era to kind of like push myself to see if I can do it. And I showed myself that I can do it, but I realized that I was not happy doing it. So do you feel like Cataclysm is the Shamir that you want to put out there? Is this kind of the the fully realized musical Shamir? I don't think I'll ever be fully realized until I'm done releasing music. Good answer, good answer. Did the record come out the way you wanted it to? I think every record since Ratchet has. I haven't compromised anything since then. Even Revelations, which did come out on the label, but Father Darter, you know, they let me do whatever I want. And Tell me a little bit, you know, I, I mentioned your guitar work. It has that real heavy, don't use this as, don't think I'm insulting you, but it has that early 90s proto-emo sound. I'm, that's a really nerdy way to put that's it. That's not but... an insult. That's actually what I listen to a lot, realistically. Yeah. Where did your guitar style come from? You know, what I love, and that was a process that I kind of was thrown into because going back into guitar music, I was raw. Like I, you know, didn't, I didn't even have any pedals. Like I didn't have any pedals when I wrote Hope. You know, I didn't have a single pedal. Everything were that you hear as far as guitar tones were presets in my four track. It's really, I've finally now got to a place where I feel happy with like my tones and my board and like everything. But, and that's just, you know, grown from time to time. But I've always known that I wanted heavy, distorted, grunge, like guitars. Just like you said, maybe like, you know, uh, the beginning of grunge, um, beginning of emo, kind of like early, mid 90s stuff. Like that's the stuff that I love, always kind of really love. But realistically, the stuff that I was doing before, um, I did Ratchet and started doing electronic pop stuff. I was more into kind of like the lo-fi pop stuff, um, like Vivian Girls. Vivian Girls is like my favorite band ever with like pieces of post-punk stuff, like the slits. And that's really 
kind of where a lot of like my early um, influences come from. It's just like post-punk stuff, just um, especially like British stuff, X-ray specs, um, the slits, you know, raincoats, that type of stuff. That's where I always kind of like fell. The more alternative and grungy and emo stuff I listened to, but I always, I guess, envisioned myself as more of a post-punk type of, I guess, post-punk connoisseur. Um, yeah, yeah. This got real nerdy real quick. Yeah, that's me. That's me. I'm a music nerd. What can I say? Yeah. And I think a lot of the post-punk stuff comes out in BDE from last last year's record. But I think the underlying stuff of all of like my guitar stuff is the more grungy stuff. And I think that's because when I was really, really, really in a deep part of like my depression coming out of the Ratchet era, there was a probably one of the worst like the depressed episodes I think I ever had before I was like diagnosed uh, with bipolar disorder and like didn't know what was going on in my head. I didn't leave my room for like three days, I believe. The thing that brought me out of it, I got this um this unwound box set at the last pitchfork festival that I had uh, played at in 2016. And I didn't even choose it. Like I was just having a nerdy conversation like this with a guy at the record stand out there and was just telling him about, you know, what I love, my influences. We were talking about like Big Black and Oscar Du and like that stuff and like blah, blah, blah. And he was just like, buy this box set. And I was just like, okay. And never really like listened to it until then. And he was just sitting there staring at me. And I was like, okay, I'm going to listen to this. And I don't know what happened. Just something happened in me and I got just reinvigorated and like finally took a shower and like left my room and like went for like a three mile walk and just listened to the whole box set like on repeat. And it was just, I was just like, I have to do this. This is my calling. I know this, but that's when I realized I have to do this or I'm not going to be as happy as I know I can be. Wow. That's uh, so how did that, listening experience translate into music that you made yourself? I don't know what it was. It was just like, I know this is how I should be playing. Even before I was playing like that, you know, I'm like, this sounds like how I've always kind of wanted to play, but never really saw it in the music that I was listening to. So I was just trying to copy my influences for the sake of, for the sake of inclusion, for the sake of, you know, this is what works. So why would I fuck up the formula? And to finally hear something that sounded like what I always wanted to do, it was just validating, I guess. It was just validation. You grew up in Vegas. What was that experience like? I can't, I'm, I grew up in the Midwest. You know, I live in Brooklyn now. I just can't imagine growing up in a playground like that. So tell me about what it was like to grow up in Vegas. Well, it's not a playground. It's a devil's den. So that's that. Do you have a, a negative view of Vegas now? Even though it's your hometown? I probably have less of a negative view now that I don't live there, first and foremost. <laughs> it's, it's a hard place to grow up as a child because everyone's having fun but the kids. Because kids can spend money on the strip. Therefore, they're not pandering to us at all whatsoever. 
So we've always had to make our own fun. You can ask any any person, any person that grew up in Las Vegas, you know, they'll tell you. Like people think it would be so fun for a child to grow up in Las Vegas. No. Like it's a playground for adults. It's a devil's den. And like that's what I call it, you know. Music was my escape. Music was how I kept myself entertained. Music was how, you know, I stayed sane, you know, especially being from North Las Vegas and super North Las Vegas, like as north as you can go. Like it's like my high school and then just a bunch of mountains with like probably a prison behind it. Were your were your parents supportive of your musical endeavors? More, yeah, my mother my mother is she's like a new age hippie. Like she's like a witch, you know, tarot cards, homeopathic medicine, no Tylenol in the house, you know, basically an anti vaxxer ass person. Like she's like that person. But it was more strict in the be- in the first half of my life, up until like maybe I was like eight, nine, seven, eight, nine, ten. My family was in a nation of Islam. Well, my grandma still is. And my mom was still religious at that time. And after I decided that I had didn't want anything to do with it, it kind of awoken something in her. And then she just really did her own thing, and you know. And I think it was always kind of like bubbling under her. Like she always, you know, my whole life growing up, everything had to be organic, natural. Like she was always kind of like on that path. So I guess she just like really went ham when she didn't have to worry about the 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 bounds of religion. Where did where did you when did you first start playing guitar? Were you five, six years old or were you in high school Nine. or? Nine. I wanted to be a country singer. You have so you've had some country you know, inflections throughout your, your records. So tell me yeah. about where did the country music, the love for country music come from? Being from the Southwest, it's around you, <laughs> you know. Who did you listen to? On the, really on the think con- about that. Who did you listen to on the countryside? I guess my first real instance of me realizing that I like country was my aunt. She always loved music. She's a songwriter and she worked with other artists around the Vegas area in the early stages of my life. My she's my mom's twin, so my mom and her they live together. So anytime that my aunt will have musicians over, I would, you know, just like chill with them, listen to music. She prided herself in writing all kinds of music, and she specifically loved writing country music. And so she introduced me to Janis Joplin and Reba, and it was just over after that for me. But then as I started making it myself. I didn't want to make it myself until Taylor Swift. And I was just like, I want to be Taylor Swift. Like, I'm going to be Taylor Swift. Like, you can't tell me I'm not going to be Taylor Swift. I'm like, I'm going to do this. So um, that's when I really just like dove in deep. And and I really only listened to like old country and country oldies. But then I had a friend who had moved from Texas to Vegas. So she was like real, real country. And she kind of brought me into the pop country world because before that I will only listen to the country oldie station because I used to play country oldies every Sunday in Las Vegas and that's where all my country influence came from and it wasn't until she updated me because I just I refuse to listen to a lot of pop country because I mean it was and still is a lot of it is so bad and I think I still would have never listened to it until she showed me like the good stuff. Well, the thing with pop country and country nowadays, they use these cheesy hip hop beats in the background, like these kind of like 12 year old crappy 
you know, hip hop beats and country music now. It's so strange. Yeah, I do now. You know, I, I was right before that, the precipice of it. But right before that, I think if they were already on that tip now, oh yeah, I probably, I probably would never listen to country pop. I mean, I still don't now, but I really would have like never got into it. Like I came from an era where like Sugarland was still coming up, who's like amazing. Hey, we got Miranda Lambert, who's amazing. Like I was like in that era where it was like right before it got real bad. You know, Carrie Underwood, like Lady Antebellum. Lady Antebellum, you know, like it was, it was, that was probably the last good era of pop country. Do you see yourself at some point making a, a, um, a down the line country record? Definitely. Definitely. The only reason why I haven't done it yet is just because it'd be too easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I would love to, to hear what that would sound like. I want to talk about your, your personal style right now. You've got the butterfly in your hair. You've had that on your record cover. You had that on album covers. You've you perform with that. So where did the butterfly in the hair come from? Um, I mean, the hair changes with the season first and foremost. Um, but the butterfly, as I mentioned in, in the little note that I wrote with with Cataclysm on Bandcamp, you know, the butterfly can represent death, um, but also rebirth. I found my first butterfly clip during. It was like right after I, I got dropped, a little bit before Hope. So it was definitely the end of era. Like I was definitely in limbo and was just, you know, trying to just trying to see what's next to make my way. And I was at my rehearsal space, which is um it's like an hourly one in North Philly. So a lot of people use it. And as I was coming in to rehearse with my din band, it was just sitting there perfectly on the keyboard and in, in the um in the studio and I was enamored like just it, it just like it was like we were magnet like magnetic it just didn't leave my head since it's the it's the yellow one that I wear in almost everything and it's just it's that exact one and from and from then on that's where it just happened and honestly after I got that butterfly everything in my life changed like I was, you know, picked by the pop music machine from literally graduation high school, you know, onto the road. And I didn't really have time to really find myself in those critical years that a lot of other people get to, you know. So I kind of have to, I, I bumped along the way, you know. Do you feel like you've moved completely past the pop music? Do you resent on the regular? Do you hate performing it at this point? I don't perform it. I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole nother bitch. I remember her. I don't want to be like, I don't know her, but I remember her, you know? And I was like, oh, she was sweet, you know, but. It's like an ex that you have some, exactly. some fond memories of, but. Exactly. That's exactly how I feel. You I know, mean, people think I hate it. Like, I don't hate it. Like, first of all, it makes me all of my money. <laughs> you know, how yeah. can I hate it? You've done a little bit of uh, acting and, and voiceover work. You did some episodes of Tuca and Birdie for Netflix. Do you see yourself doing more acting and, and voiceover work? Oh, yeah, definitely. And and more comedy stuff, too. I used to do stand-up and still love it. Well, I, I still want to do it here and there when it makes sense, which is basically what I've been doing. But the hardest thing is that it's, it's just really hard to do it when you don't live in L.A., and I refuse to live in LA. Like I just, it's not my tea. A lot of people don't know, but yeah, like I've super been in Philly and I'm, and I've been super just like 
engulfed in the Philly music scene too. Like I started my own label and I work with artists out here and like everything. So it's just like, I literally can't live in LA. That's just been the hardest thing because like putting yourself on tape is, I don't love that. I like, I'm, I'm, it's much better for me to like actually just come in and like read with like an agent because they give you energy. Like when I just act like my friends like read for me, like they give me no energy. Like it's just, do you, do you take any kind of acting gig? What kind of project are you looking for? I prefer comedy. Yeah, I prefer comedy. I think that's another thing, too. I've been getting a lot more... Like, I don't get as much comedy stuff because, like, I'm Black and queer. So all our stories are tragic, right? So that's just what it is, you know? Like, it's not many comedic roles for me because, like, my existence, just by default, to most people, must be tragic this end on the music end of things. Cause, cause that's, you know, what you're known for. We yes. talked about the, the sound of the cataclysm. So what are you working on right now? What's the next Shamir album going to sound like? Well, yeah, it's coming out in uh, October. <laughs> of course. Yeah. I think it's safe to say it's the most pop sounding record since Ratchet. I'll say that. Okay. It's still a guitar record. It's just the most pop of the guitar records, but also just the most clean, like as clean as Ratchet. Well, thank you so much for talking to me and I wish you the best on the new album. No, thank you. Thank you so much. All right. I'll talk to you later. Thank you to my guest, Shamir. And thanks for listening to the Pop Best Podcast. I'm Jordan Edwards. You can find me at jordanedwardsstudio.com and on Instagram at jordanedwardsstudio. And as always, check out the latest in pop culture, music, and entertainment at popdust.com. Mm-hmm.